0: The success of a Sunday morning service does not rise or fall with how I'm doing. It certainly has nothing to do with my weaknesses or my tiredness or or my moments of, of struggle or difficulty, and it absolutely has nothing to do with the times when I am strong. The experience that you have on a Sunday, going through the Word, worshiping God, is solely and, and specifically and only because of the work of His Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, among us. Now, that extends to every one of us. There are times in our lives where we think, I'm just not up to church this morning. I don't have what it takes. You don't have to. It's not about how you feel. It's about what God is going to do and is doing in and through your life. And even more so, as we'll see this morning, you may say, I feel great today, wonderful, but that has nothing to do with the experience of Jesus Christ that you have, when you gather together in fellowship with believers and open the word. We rise, we fall. We have our highs, we have our lows. But God is always on the throne. God is always faithful, always consistent, always strong, always there, always faithful. And I love that about the Lord because it really takes all the pressure off. I know for me as a pastor, when it comes to teaching, it doesn't matter how I feel. Now, I feel great this morning. But it really doesn't matter. And Cheryl and I, over years and years of ministry, I've shared before how I would go home and I'd say, How was that? Was it okay? How'd I do? You know, and she'd kind of roll her eyes and say, It was fine. I'm like, Fine. Define fine. What does fine mean? Tell me more. I need, you know, and I've, I've ceased doing that because I realized. It's not a performance and it just doesn't matter. What matters is what the Lord does. How he speaks to you, what his word has to offer you and to offer me. And so we go through this together. And I love that about our father. And I love that about the life of Samson because here's a guy who many of us used to believe was the strong man when truly he is not you have a Bible with you, open up to Judges chapter 13. We're going to do something uh, this morning by way of an overview. I'm going to invite you to get into the good gospel blimp, and we're going to fly high over the life of Samson. We're going to look at chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, but it's going to be an overview. We're not going verse by verse. We're going to pull out several verses as we go and get a, a picture of the life of this man. Now we've been going through, we already covered chapter 14 and 15 on Wednesday night. We'll cover chapter 16 in depth this Wednesday night, and then next Sunday we'll finish out in the life of Samson. But I want to get a broad picture because I think there's something we have to learn from the life and experience of this man. Beginning in chapter 13, where we read last week, in verse 2, it tells us there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Skip down to verse 24. And the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mohanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. And now skip over to chapter 16 and verse 20. Chapter 16, verse 20. It says, she said, she is Delilah. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. And they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains. And he was a grinder in the prison. And I have to ask the question, how did Samson get from the Nazarite whose birth was proclaimed ahead of time? The man on whom the Spirit of God fell, to the man in the Philistine prison grinding out the grain with his eyes gouged out. Father, that seems to be often the the pattern of life where we will start strong and then find ourselves in that place. How did we get here? What happened that led us into the pit? Or the prison. Or the place where life is but a daily grind. How did we end up here? There was so much promise. Oh, oh Lord, when I, when I came to you. I gave my life to you and I remember it Father. I was full of such hope. And then we see the rocks and the pitfalls. And Father, I pray that you will give us insight through Samson's life this morning. That, that we might be able to avoid some of those pitfalls that we might rather than crash and burn that we might grow up in our salvation that we might as Paul said work out our salvation with fear and trembling that we might Lord enter into your presence more each day walking more boldly more humbly and more full of you Father teach us this morning from the life of this man and show us what you would have us know in Jesus name Amen well, Wednesday night, the teaching was for those of us who are feeling weak. for are feeling weak, here's how to be strong. This morning, it's exactly the opposite. It's especially for those of us who think they're strong. So if you feel like you're strong in the Lord, you're standing firm, things are good, everything's all right between you and God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten twelve, Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So I would add to that, let him who thinks he is strong Take heed that he doesn't fall weak in the hands of the Lord. For the most famous judge of Israel, the man often elevated to that superhero status of Sunday school Bible stories, is in truth one of the weakest men in the Bible. 98 pound weakling Samson, he is a weak man. He's known absolutely for his great feats of strength, his exploits of great power, Are in almost every case preceded, though, by this statement. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Without that, Samson had nothing. Without that, Samson was a 98-pound weakling. As I mentioned last week and Wednesday as well, it's entirely likely Samson didn't even look strong. For the Philistines were wondering. They had to go through Delilah. Figure out what the the secret is behind his strength. Because this guy... We can't figure him out. If he had the muscles, if he was you know, tall in stature, if he was massive in size, they might be able to say, man, that guy works out. Man, he's just ripped. Man, that, that must be why he's such a strong guy. But they couldn't figure him out. How does this guy have such strength? And I think the confusion there had to do partially with the fact that he did not look the part. But it's important to note that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Chapter 14, verse 6. Chapter 14, verse 19. And chapter 15, verse 14. Three different times in this short uh, telling of the life of Samson. It says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. I point that out because, gang, it doesn't matter... What supernatural feats you may be or have been able to accomplish in the Lord. As long as we are in the flesh, we are susceptible to sin and carnality and we can fall. Until that day where we are raised up, placed into our glorified bodies, caught up to be with the Lord forever, until that day... We are susceptible to sin, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise, the Bible is very clear on this point. Romans 7.21, Paul says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good... I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, he says. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Well, thanks be to Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other with my flesh the law of sin. And the one that wins out is the one that you feed. The example has been given of two hound dogs. A black one and a white one. Pick the colors it doesn't matter. But two dogs. And the one that you feed will become the stronger. Now that doesn't mean necessarily your salvation is at risk but certainly your growth in the Lord your ability to walk with the Lord and grow in your righteousness if you feed the things of God if you feed the Spirit you will grow strong in the Spirit but if you feed the flesh you're going to grow strong in the flesh and although the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson mightily he was for his part deeply flawed his life is a picture dramatic of what the flesh can do even with a Spirit filled man and and that's what we've got to get I can be spirit-filled and still very sinful. I can have the Holy Spirit residing in my heart. But I can still choose to quench His work in me. I think that's one of the most shocking things among Christians, is when you see someone who you truly believe to be spirit-filled, and they sin badly. How can this be? How's that possible? He must not have been spirit-filled. No, he's still in the flesh. That's the issue. And we see this time and time again with Samson. Uh, Three quick things just to point out about Samson. He was lust-filled. Samson was lust-filled. Chapter 14, verse 1. says that Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman. And there's the story of his life right there. (laughs) Samson went down to Timnah. He went down and saw a woman. One of the daughters of the Philistines. Chapter 16, verse 1. tells us that Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there. And went into her (gasps) What? Samson? Went to a prostitute? It's right here It's not sugar coated, it's not washed out This is the truth Chapter 16 verse 4 After this it came about that he loved a woman In the valley of Sorek Whose name was Delilah Samson was lust filled Samson saw a woman If he had any vision for his life That was it, he saw a woman And when Samson saw a woman Samson wanted the woman picture of a man who had a great lust. As someone has said, Samson was a he-man with a she-weakness. And time and time again, this will be his problem. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble Tear it out and throw it from you For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body Than for your whole body to be thrown into hell And Jesus repeats this later Matthew 18 verse 9 If your eye causes you to stumble Pluck it out (laughs) And throw it from you For it's better for you to enter life With one eye than to have two eyes And be cast into the fiery hell Jesus says Man, if you've got a lust issue Pluck your eyes out don't put yourself at risk. And isn't it interesting that this is exactly how Samson ended his life, with his eyes plucked out. The very instruments that were the cause of his downfall, his lust, were gouged out in his final days. You might say, but Rick, I don't want to pluck out my eyes. Well, there's another option. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 says, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will teach you. For the commandment is a lamp. What does the Bible say? The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Uh, Solomon says that commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman from the smooth tongue of the adulteress do not desire her beauty in your heart nor let her capture you with her eyelids for on account of a harlot one is reduced to a loaf of bread love the Bible and an adulteress hunts for the precious life You don't have to gouge out your eyes, but you do need to fix your eyes on Jesus and stay constant in His Word. Now listen to me, there are several here, I would say probably most of us, who really are interested in hearing the Lord speak who really want to hear the voice of Jesus. Jesus says, sheep hear my voice. They they know my voice. And that is absolutely important in the growth of our Christian life. But I'll tell you something, gang. If you're seeking the, the vocal, the verbal, the auditory voice of God and walking away from the written word, you are in danger. You want to know it's God speaking to you. You want to be aware of the voice of the Lord in your life. and you be constant in the word and don't walk away from it. And I don't care how strong you are in your life, how spiritual, how righteous, how much you hear the Lord. The danger comes when we close the word and say, I don't need the written word anymore. I've got the spoken word of the Lord. We have been given this book for discernment, for wisdom, for understanding. As Solomon says Take the commandment of your father Do not forsake the teaching of your mother Bind them continually on your heart Tie them around your neck Why? Well it's either that Or pluck out your eyes Your choice It's either that Or get rid of your hearing It's either that Or somehow destroy all of your five senses Because your senses will take you away from the Lord We are in the flesh, gang And our senses will deceive us And the enemy will use it time and time again And so we have the Word by which we can test anything that we hear. Is it the Lord? Is it not the Word? Is it not the Lord? Well, what does the Word tell you? That's why we have this book, gang, and we are going to stick to it. Samson was lust-filled And even the most spiritual among us can fall prey to the lust of the eyes. And whether it's an appetite for sexual things like it was for Samson, or material things, or intellectual things, or prideful things, or even, listen, even religious things. This world is passing away. John says in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Samson was filled with a lust, a passion for this world, not for the world to come. Samson was, number two, self-willed. He was lust-filled. He was also self-willed. Due to Samson's exploits, We see in chapter 15 that the the, uh, Philistines surged into Judah. It was Samson's self-will, his own selfishness, that led the Philistines to attack Israel. And Samson moved in his own thinking. Look at this, chapter 15 and verse 10. It tells us that the men of Judah, they came to the Philistines, and the Philistines are now invading, and they say, Why have you come up against us? know they've been under Philistine rule for 20 years and they've been oppressed by the Philistines, but they've been kind of paying their dues and just hanging out. Suddenly the Philistines now come by their armies into Judah. Why are you against us? And they said, we have come up to find Samson in order to do to him as he did to us. Great, Samson's up there stirring things up. So the 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock in the tom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, Listen, Samson's words, As they did to me, so I have done to them. Great words to live by, Sam. You do unto me and I will do unto you. And I'm going to do unto you whatever you do unto me. And we'll just keep doing back and forth. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You treat me well, well, I might treat you okay. You offend me, I am going to offend you. This is the mentality, this is the life philosophy of Samson. Contrast that to what Jesus said: treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Luke 6:31. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How do you desire to be treated? What do you want in relationships in your life? Let that be a standard for how you treat other people. Samson was lust-filled and self-willed, but he was also weak-willed. Weak-willed. Look at verse 17 of chapter 14, going back. Samson gets married to this Philistine woman from Timnah. And in this marriage, it tells us in verse 17, that she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted. And we saw this Wednesday night, this was the wedding feast, and she wept all seven days. (laughs) But on the seventh day he told her Because she pressed him so hard He told her the answer to a riddle That he had given to these Philistine guys And she had been pressing him For fear of her own life And you can read the story and find out what happened there But it says that she then told the riddle Of the sons of her people Why? Because he was weak willed His wife just kept pressing and pressing and pressing And and he gave up to her And we see the same thing over in chapter 16 over there. We're going to do a lot of that back and forth this morning Chapter 16, verse 15. As he laid his head on the lap of Delilah, she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. And it came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. (laughs) Sick of you, woman. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, a razor has never come on my head for I have been an Azurite to God from my mother's womb if I am shaved then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and will be like and will be like any other man he's weak-willed he's easily swayed he's lust-filled he's self-willed how did Samson get here Again, remember, this is the foretold Nazarite who was going to raise up and begin to lead the children of Israel against the Philistines. How does he end up with such a flawed life? And more personally, if Samson, who was supposed to be strong in the Lord, can get so mixed up, what does that mean for the rest of us? What does that mean for me? I want to give you, and this is the main thing to hear, three fatal flaws of Samson. We saw a little bit of his character, lust-filled and self-willed and weak-willed, but but there are some fatal flaws in his behavior, things that, decisions he could have made to go a different direction. Fatal flaw number one, Samson's life was one of consecration without devotion. Consecration without devotion. He was an Nazarite, consecrated for that, but there was no personal devotion In his heart. You could put it this way. Religion without relationship. And that's what Samson had. Religious as a Nazirite. But no relationship with the Lord. Samson was called to be a Nazirite. Remember that's don't go near wine, grapes or raisins. Don't cut your hair. Don't touch dead things. He was set apart from birth. Consecrated to be God's man. But here's the problem. There's no relationship. There's no devotion in his life. There's no worship. In fact, in Samson's story, we only hear him pray two times. Listen to the first, Judges 15, 18. He became very thirsty, and he called to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, so the water came out of it, and he drank, and his strength returned, and he revived. And therefore he named it In-Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. It means the spring of the one who called. So this is the first time in Samson's life we've even seen or heard a prayer come from his lips, and it's just because he's thirsty. He's dying of thirst. And it's almost an accusation. Shall you give me the Philistines into my hands and and allow me to overtake them and then then I die of thirst? That's his prayer. That's the depth of Samson's devotion. This is not a man who is prayerful and not a man who is on his knees. Not a man who is taking it to the Lord. And it reminds me of this verse that should make every believer shudder at least a bit. Matthew 7.21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? You see, there are a lot of people chasing after that in the world today. We see that more and more, as the Bible predicted we would. More even Christians chasing after the miraculous to the exception of the truth. And Jesus says, hey... There are going to be those who say, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, in your name perform many miracles, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It doesn't matter how spiritual we may think we are, if there's no walking relationship with Jesus Christ, all I've got is consecration with no devotion. But God wants devotion. The Lord is not looking for people who can do perform miracles. He's looking for people who will walk with him, who will be in relationship with him, who will call out to him, who, who will question and, and, and wonder what he's doing and, and be engaged in conversation with the Lord. Even to the point that Jesus said in John 15:15, 15, 15, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you You see, God drew near So that we would be in relationship with Him So that we could draw near to Him And that's what our Christian life is about, gang That's why we're here That's what it's for To move into deeper, living, loving relationship Devotion with God It's not just consecration Anybody can be consecrated Anybody can be religious Samson was a consecrated man who had no devotion to the Lord. Well, Ricky said he prayed twice in his life. We'll see the second one in just a minute. Second fatal flaw. First was consecration with no devotion. Second fatal flaw. Samson had authority without accountability. Authority without accountability. He judged Israel 20 years. He was the hero of his day, but he had no one in his life to call him to account for the life that he was living. No one to, to bring him back when he went off the deep end. He begins badly with no accountability to his parents. We see this back in chapter 14 in verse 2. It tells us that, uh, actually verse 3, that, that he was given to his parents. You're going you're to conceive and, and give birth to a son, Samson is. And he has no accountability to them. I'm sorry, it's actually chapter 14, verse 2. He came to his father and mother. And he said, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. His dad says, listen to this, and his mother say, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you would go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? They're, they're trying. to say, saying, um, I don't think that's a good idea. You're an Azurite. consecrated to the Lord. And the law says, You need to take a wife from among our people. It's probably not a good idea, Samson no accountability Samson just says get her for me I want her get her for me she looks good to me using his eyes and not his devoted heart which he doesn't have no accountability he doesn't care what his parents say they try to direct him they try to steer him we don't have a whole lot of teenagers here we've got a couple of guys here next hour we'll have more and I'm going to talk to them a little bit more about this your parents know what they're doing they know what they're doing listen to them Corey (laughs) Samson had no accountability With his parents He also had no accountability To the Lord He's never in prayer with the Lord He's never checking What he's doing with the Lord As he's going in To see the prostitute In chapter 16 verse 1 Did he ask the Lord If that was okay? Did he check in With an accountability partner In the local church? No No accountability He's just doing his own thing And by the way How did Samson do With his Nazarite vow To the Lord? if you've read the story you know he hangs out in the vineyards of Timnah he's not supposed to drink wine or touch a grape or a raisin even but God makes it clear don't even go to the don't, no sun stay away from all of it and yet he's in the vineyard what's he doing there? he's compromising is what he's doing he touches dead things the Nazarite was not supposed to touch dead things he touches the carcass of the lion he killed in chapter 14 which immediately would make him unclean. So now he's majorly violating his vow. And of course, Snapson got a haircut on the lap of Delilah, which is the final violation of his Nazarite vow. No accountability. Not to his parents, not to his Lord, not even to his wife. And I mention that for this reason. Several years back, there was a Newsweek cover. It was at the time that Promise Keepers was real big. Some of you guys went to Promise Keepers, and you're aware of Promise Keepers. It was a, it was a great thing in the day. On Newsweek there was a cover And the newspapers love to do this They had a picture of it A picture on it of a man In a bar with a big mug of beer And he's surrounded by beautiful women And he's wearing a black t-shirt with white lettering on it That said My wife thinks I'm at Promise Keepers Newsweek flashes this right up on the front cover of their magazine My wife thinks that I'm at Promise Keepers Among the many great things that promise keepers stressed to men, one of the most important was accountability. To have another man in your life who you would be accountable to as you walked. A brother in the Lord, but even more so, gentlemen, listen. The first and foremost person in your life that you are called to be accountable to if you are married is your wife. She's the first. And I've seen Christian men go out and get accountability partners that they'll talk to about things they won't share with their wife. And I believe that is a violation of the marriage vow. Because the two become one flesh. If, men, if you're doing anything you can't share openly with your wife, you have no business doing it at all. She should be, number one, the first person in your life who knows what's going on. And if you can't tell her, then you better step back and wonder, why am I doing what I'm doing? If I can't even be open and honest with her about it. Keep your finger in Judges and flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is talking about the church. He uses marriage as a picture of the church, but listen to what he says in verse 21. Ephesians 5.21, he says, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, or out of reverence for Jesus. Wives, he says, verse 22, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church also and gave Himself up for her. Now this is a passage that can be confusing for some, especially if there's marital strife going on. The wife thinking, I've got to be subject to him? To that guy? And He's the head of me? No one's the head of me. Well, the Bible says he is. But we need to understand what that means. It doesn't mean he's the Lord of you. It means he's the head. He's the coverant. Husbands are to be a covering for their wives. A protection for them. And guys, by the way, husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And he died for the church. He gave up himself so that the church would be covered, protected, loved. And that's the relationship that is laid out for us in Scripture Okay, so Rick, are you saying that a man, as long as he's accountable to his wife, can lord it over her? And the answer is no. If you're accountable to your wife, you won't lord it over her. But you will cover her with godly covering. Ladies, ladies, listen closely. You have no business pouring out your heart to any man other than to your husband who is your spiritual covering. And I'm beginning to realize how important this is. It's what Paul means when he says the husband is the head of the wife is also Christ's head of the church. He's talking about spiritual protection and covering. But even in the church, we have women going to men for counsel. Talking about things in their life that are sensitive. That should not be. If you can't talk to your husband about it, ladies, you have no business going to another man to talk about it. That's got a fair written all over it. And it happens all the time. And I'm talking about in the church, in prayerful, godly counsel, a woman goes to a pastor. I won't meet one-on-one with a woman. Many of you know this. Cheryl has to be there. It's not because I'm dangerous. (laughs) It's not even because I don't trust myself. It's because there's no reason for a woman who is married to another man to be talking to me about stuff she's not talking to her husband about. And there's no reason for a single woman to be talking to me. She ought to be talking to the Lord or to her sisters in Christ. But not to me. Now, some of you may say, "Well, my husband's not a believer." Some of you ladies may say, "Well, my husband's a jerk," and <laughs> may say, "My my husband just doesn't care." Then you find another Christian lady to whom you can pray, with whom you can pray, and be encouraged, but never another man. We have no business doing some of the things that we often do, and we think we're doing the right thing. But we've been given our wives, men, ladies. We've been given our husbands in the Lord for covering furthermore ladies you love the man that you marry you submit yourself to him out of reverence for Christ even if you don't revere him at the time even if he is not worthy even if he is kind of living a life out of reverence for Jesus Christ in the same way and Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 3 in the same way that Sarah respected Abraham even though Abraham made some stupid moves she still respected him out of reverence for the Lord and the Lord protected her And you do the same. This is one of the most important things I think I can tell you this morning. That the Lord has given us all people to whom we can be accountable if we truly want to live a godly life. Single people. If you're not married, find accountability with someone of your same gender. Someone that you can sit down and talk with, pour out your heart to, pray with together. Women with women, men with men. Rick, you're sounding awful patriarchal. Good. Doesn't bother me in the least. Men need to be talking to men, women with women, wives to husbands, husbands to wives, that is healthy spiritual living. That's healthy accountability. And we're all called by the way to be accountable to our Lord Jesus. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. And if anyone tries to step into that role, you don't listen to him. One mediator. One go between. For us, to the Father. And it's Jesus. And it's not a pastor. It's not a prophet. It's not a man of any kind. It is Jesus Christ who stands in the gap for us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 tells us that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We are accountable to the Lord. But Samson had no accountability. He had no devotion. And finally it brings us to fatal flaw number three in Samson's life. He had power without purity. Power without purity. This is a guy who tore open a lion with his bare hands. This is a man who fought and killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. I'd love to see that. An amazing battle. This is a man who picked up a city gate, its post bars and doors, ripped it out of the ground, and carried it to the top of a mountain on his back. This was a powerful guy, but he had no purity. As we see time and time again in his life. Judges 14.1, he went down and saw a woman. He went in to a harlot. He fell in love with Delilah. And time and time again we see an impure man with great power but remember the power of Samson was spirit given the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily which tells me something else here that we need to be aware of as far as power and purity are concerned when we are more into the power gifts of the Holy Spirit than we are with the pure fruit of the spirit we are off base power without purity is danger power without purity is always problematic And without the purity of the fruit of the Spirit, the character of our our very faith ends up flawed. The main thing with the Holy Spirit is fruit over gifts. It's character over experience. It's purity over power. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. He doesn't say blessed are the powerful with the gifts. He says blessed are the pure in heart. So we should shun the gifts. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. The spiritual gifts given to the body are for the witnessing. They're for serving. They're important. They're a part of what God does to unify us and to grow His kingdom. And we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But without the presence of the purity, without the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, the gifts are just dangerous things. And you know what the fruit of the Spirit is, right? Love, joy, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Everything, everything in a believer's life can be tested against those nine different fruits, those nine characteristics. And if a person's powerful, but they're revealing the fruit of the Spirit in their life, good, then they have the purity of the, of the Spirit. But if they're powerful, and they're impatient, if they're powerful, and they're unloving, if they're powerful, and they're stern and not joyful, there's a problem. It's power without purity. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, 1.5, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's, that's pretty impressive. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. John says in 1 John 3.1, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us? That we would be called children of God and such we are. And for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, we are children of God. And it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be, but we know when he appears. We will be like him because we will see him just as he is, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so Samson had consecration without devotion. He had authority with no accountability, and he had power without purity. And Samson's story is a sad one. Bible students, you may know that along with such men as Gideon, as Barak, as Jephthah, it's interesting that in spite of the sadness of Samson's story, Hebrews 11.32 lists him in the great hall of faith. Now I go back over his story and I don't see a whole lot there that's faithful. But he's held up. The writer says, I don't have time to mention men like Samson great men of faith who did great things in the Lord and I think wow I read Samson's story and I'm not sure how he gets in there's some other guys in the the Old Testament scripture Othniel should be in there Shandar should be in there Ehud should most definitely be in there remember Ehud with the yeah okay why is this this man of the flesh this carnal Samson why is he in the hall of faith and considered even to be a hero of Israel And it's because of this he starts with a call he crashes and burns but he ends well. Samson ends well. Look at chapter 16 verse 19. Delilah tells us made Samson sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. And then she began to afflict him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke up from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He did not know. What a horrifying thought. Think about that, waking up some morning and not even knowing that the Holy Spirit is no longer with you. See, that's Old Testament Holy Spirit action. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, before Jesus came, God would give and remove his Spirit at will we'll see that in the life of Saul God pours his spirit out on Saul but there comes a point in Saul's life where God says no more and he withdraws his spirit and Saul is afflicted by the demonic from time to time you see the Lord will put his spirit on on a person but eventually his spirit will leave them thankfully in Jesus the spirit doesn't leave us he comes and He makes his home with us when we give our lives to Jesus Christ but it was a different thing back then the loss, being emptied of the Holy Spirit, and you might say, "Well, is it possible that I can lose the Holy Spirit once He is within me? Can I have the Spirit in me and then lose Him?" And Mark, how did you put it? I, I love it. Once saved, hard to, lose. hard to lose. Was that it? I like that. You've heard the "once saved, always saved" thing, Mark? When I was talking to Mark last night and said, "No, it's just once saved, once saved, hard to lose." <laughs> Can I lose the Spirit once I have the Spirit? Can can He actually leave me? I do think that we can quench the Spirit. Well, I know that. The Bible tells us. We can quench the Holy Spirit within us. We can silence the Spirit within us. Though He is with us. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever experienced times when doubts, confusions, fear, and even deception seem to be the loudest voices in your life? Where you just don't know what God wants, where you cannot hear the voice of God, and where fear or discouragement or depression is what is driving you. And I wonder what was running through Samson's spiritless mind as he stayed in that Philistine prison. Look at verse 21. The Philistines seized him, they gouged out his eyes, they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. This picture of Samson, it's the end of his life. He is broken, he is blind, and he's in the grind. The daily grind. This is what Samson's doing. Grinding out the grain, he can't see, he is bound up in chains, everything is bad for Samson, the experience of his life is gone. And days turn into weeks. And weeks turn into months. But something is happening deep within the spirit of this man. Something is taking place. His his hair is growing again. That's not what's happening though. Deep within the heart of Samson a change is taking place. Verse 23 says, The lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god. Who by the way, Dagon doesn't exist anymore anywhere in the world. You know Why? Here today, gone tomorrow. He was their God, and they were assembled there to rejoice, for they said, I said that for Corey's sake, because he likes that one. Anyway, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And so they're rejoicing, and they're having a great time together. Verse 24 says, When the people saw him, they praised their God, and they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country who has slain many of us. And so it happened, they were in high spirits, and they said, Call for Samson. That he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he entertained them. And they made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. Here's the second prayer of Samson's life. Listen. Samson called to the Lord and he said, O Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. It's easy to miss this, but don't. He begins to pray, and for the first time in Samson's life, he speaks the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord God. For the first time we have in written record, Samson says, Yahweh. Jehovah. There's some devotion in this. And he says something else. He, he says, Remember me. Remember me. He is on his dying moments, gang. Eyes gouged out, bound between the two pillars Weakened, having to perform Humiliated And as he stands there he prays Yahweh, remember me Reminds me of another man Whose arms also were stretched out Who said, Lord, remember me He was a thief on the cross next to Jesus And as he hung there he said Lord, remember me When you come into your kingdom. And what's wonderful is Jesus does remember. Though we might forget. Though we may be listening to the voices of fear and doubt and confusion. The Lord is there. And he does remember us. Isaiah 49.15 Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. But I will not forget you. And for the second time in this story. Samson prays. He prays Yahweh, the name of the Lord. He says, remember me. And he says something else. Down in verse 30. He says, let me die with the Philistines. Let me die. Let me die. I understand, finally, it's not about me. It's about you taking down this enemy, Lord. Let me die that the enemy might be done away with. And you have to die to truly live we are called to die to ourselves that the enemy might be done away with that the enemy might be crushed We die to ourselves daily in Jesus Christ that the enemy present that Paul talked about that is fighting that civil war that the enemy might be crushed we die to ourselves. Paul said in Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In Romans 6.80 he says if we have died with Christ we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus.